0: This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Good morning, everybody. It's exhilarating to be among you again and singing songs together. If you would remain standing, I will ask you to open for the reading of God's Word to Psalm 131. Using the Black Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 519. Psalm 131. This is Holy Scripture. It says, A song of ascents. Of David, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. May He bless bless it to your heart. You may have a seat. Thank you. Well, it's so great to see all your faces. We were following along once in a while online, and all I could see was the back of your heads. So it's good to see you face to face. I want to thank you all for the break that was afforded me and then thank the brothers who filled the pulpit while we were gone. It was great to hear them preaching the word. And um, I'll explain why I'm turning now to Psalm 131 before we start a new series uh, in a couple of weeks or so. I... Um, I don't know if you experienced what I did, but being down break, I got out into the public you know, a little more <laughs> in the real world. And what I found, at least my impression was this. I'm not sure if you think the same way, but I just, people are uptight. I mean, that, I was, wow! <laughs> people are restless. There's all kinds of just this stress, just standing in line at Starbucks or something. And I was going, man, you know, I think it's there's a lot of reasons for it, of course. A lot has happened in our country. A lot's happened in the world last two years. All this division and this hostility, be it, uh, uh, be it political, be it, be it the, maybe the economic uncertainty that a lot of people are facing right now. Maybe it's the war and all the talk about the war. And if that's your, if that's your uh, daily intake of things all the time, and you're just hearing this and driving around with the radio on, and no wonder you're stressed, you know. There's a whole lot to be stressed about. But then there's also, on top of all this, you can lay on top of that our own personal pains, right? If the world being as it is and then you lay on top of it our own sufferings, our own struggles, and you understand why some of us have a lot of angst right now. There's a lot of agitation in some of our hearts. I was telling Sherry, we, when we were on the break, It took me the first half, four weeks, to decompress, just to calm down, and I had to work at it, and when I got back, I was talking to Pastor Scott, and he said, "Um, how many mystery novels did you read? That's my normal thing, you know, and I said, zero. He said, why not? I said, I couldn't get into it. Every time I tried to get started, I could not swim in the world of make-believe. Why? Because the real world was crushing me. There was too many things to think about in the real world. Both personal, culture-wide, and also just, you know, the church family. You, you can never completely unplug. My heart was with the, the Ruiz and the loss of their mother. Uh, with the Balsikers and the loss of Keith, their, their father. You just There's certain things you don't want to escape from. You want to know what's going on and be praying so that was part of what was going on. And so what did I do? I, I t- practice what I preach. Whenever your hearts are in angst, what do we, we talk about? Well, scripture tells us this. Don't listen to your heart. Speak to your heart. Scripture says the heart is exceedingly deceitful. We fool ourselves. So rather than listening to it, we are to speak to it. So somewhere around the middle of the break, I started speaking to my heart rather than listening to all the rage that was going on in there and all the concern and the angst. And I turned to several places and in God's word. There's where you hear the voice of God speaking to you. And one of the places I turned that really finally helped me find that peace was Psalm 131. Hence, here we are today, Psalm 131. And 31. It's one of the shortest Psalms in the Psalter. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, It's one of the shortest to read, one of the longest to learn. (laughs) How to quiet your soul, how to quiet your heart. You notice that it says, A Song of Ascents of David. Now, what's it mean, a Song of Ascents? This is referring to a group of 15 short songs beginning with Psalm 120 that were put together that the Hebrew pilgrims would sing uh, in their pilgrimage going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem because it's on a mount. And so as they ascended towards Jerusalem, they would sing this song. And I can imagine there was frequently those Hebrews who were walking up the to the hill to worship God in the temple. When they sang this song, they were thinking, I don't have a calm and quiet spirit. I'm so glad I'm hearing this song. Psalm 131. It's a very simple, very clear psalm, just three verses. It's about attaining the quiet peace of contentment. We're surrounded by a culture of discontent. Debates, arguments. This is a psalm about attaining the quiet inner peace of contentment. This is a spiritual contentment in relation with God. Contentment with His plan for your life as it's unfolding before your eyes. It's important to note that. It's something every Christian has to learn. I tell you this, you don't learn it once. (laughs) You'll come back to this again And again and again. This is about a spiritual contentment found in Christ in our relationship with God by faith in His Son Jesus. It's a contentment that's not about what we may call sort of um, these natural temperaments. Some people we know, and we say, that guy's always nervous, or this person we say, she's so even-keeled. No matter what happens, she's like, you know, flatliner. This is not that, you see. This is not a natural temperament. This is something that is learned. This is a spiritual inner peace that comes in the midst of any kind of circumstance. The New Testament equivalent would be Paul's statement in Philippians 4.11 where he says, listen to him, he says, I have learned, even the apostle had to learn this, that's good, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You know what, there's a really important word right in that statement, and that's the word In. It's not with circumstances to be content. He's not saying, learn to be happy about everything that's bad. Learn to be content in any sort of circumstance, not necessarily with them. There's a lot that's going around in our country that we shouldn't be happy with. Things happening in your life that God doesn't expect you to be happy with those things, but you can find peace in those things you can find contentment. That's what David is talking about here in Psalm 131. And it's a, it's, a, it's a contentment that comes about not by controlling those circumstances either, not by changing them, but in the midst of them. Uh, David was a king. He had much to do. It's not like uh, there was uh, nothing happening in his life. He was a warrior. He saw battles. He saw pain. He saw abandonment. His own son tried to kill him. And at least in this psalm, he found peace. I'm sure he didn't have it all the time, but when he wrote this psalm, he had found peace. Inner peace, a stillness. He's not noisy inside like some of us. And so this is a psalm that calls Christians, if you have faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it calls you to put to death, to die to a restless, fretful, agitated, noisy inner life, the Spirit. Because what's coming out of you, what's in that heart comes out your mouth. And sometimes you injure somebody, or you make bad decisions. And so this is a call to you and me to learn to quiet our spirits by the grace of God. And So the main principle in this this psalm is very clear. I put on the top of the outline there for you. What is it teaching us? It's teaching us that the quiet peace of contentment comes from hope in God alone. That inner peace in any circumstance, not with it, but in any circumstance, comes through hope in God alone. So it was a psalm, as I turned to it, it was a psalm that forced me to ask myself, and so I ask you today this question What are you all agitated about? (laughs) What's the noise inside of you? What's all the stirring about? that's making you so irritable? What's, a, what's all this noise going on in there? Or are you characterized by a still sort of peace and calm in the midst of t- your difficult circumstances? Are you frustrated with what you cannot control? Anxious maybe about a future that you can't see? Well, this psalm is for you. And if you say, well, I'm not there, but you're making me get there. <laughs> if, 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 if that's you today, this is a psalm for you. And if it's not you this morning, praise God, but I tell you this, you'll be there very soon. <laughs> because why? Because this is just life. The Bible's true to life. This is just the way it is. We will find ourselves agitated. And I hope you remember Psalm 131. So let's look at this psalm together. You know, there are only three verses, and somehow I got four points in there. Leave that to preachers, right? Three verses, but I see four things I want to say to you. Four four, uh, components, we might say, of contentment. And the first one is this, the product of contentment. Verse 1, the product of contentment. In other words, what I mean by product is this, is that what we see in verse 1 is the result of David having a quiet peaceful contentment. Here's what he says, and he affirms it with three denials, three negatives. He says, "O oh Lord, he's addressing God, he says, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's the product of a quiet heart. He's saying, here's three things I do not do because my soul is quiet and it is at rest. What's he mean by them? Let's look at each of them. My heart is not lifted up, or your translation might say proud. Pride is a big problem, isn't it? Not the sort of parental pride that says, I'm so proud of my son, he's doing so well in school. We're talking about that pride that elevates self, right? Pride goes before the fall, says Scripture. Scripture has a lot to say about the problem that pride creates. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty or proud, but humility comes before honor. The Apostle Peter Peter says that God gives grace to the humble, right? But he's opposed to who? to the proud and so he says humble yourself before the mighty hand of god that he might lift it up so David's talking about pride here, but he's talking about pride in the heart, and it's important to remember something, that this Hebrew word, the heart, in their way of thinking, the heart was not where their emotions lied. We think heart, emotion, I love you, that sort of thing. They use a different word. They use the word for guts or intestines. They said that's where emotions and feeling lie. This word, Labab, for the heart, was the place where the thinking took place, where decisions were being formed, where, where you were agitating and working on things in your life and uh, uh, what my professor used to call the heart is mission control center it's the place where you press all the buttons and you're deciding what to do and so what's David saying he's saying this he's saying in my heart Lord in my inner person I don't make too much out of myself I know I need you I know I'm a creature I'm not that proud to think I can control everything That's what David is saying here. I know in my heart of hearts, whatever decisions I make, I need you. I'm dependent upon you, Lord. I'm nothing without you. And secondly, he says that his eyes are not raised too high. Or again, your translation might say haughty, a word we don't use much. What fills the heart is... What you desire with your heart is often seen in the eyes, you know? In other words, what you desire with your heart, your eyes look for. So David says, if you look in my eyes, I'm not seeking those high things. I'm not proud about, about, about life and myself. And haughty eyes also look down on people, don't they? they don't, pride not only says, I'm... I'm I'm good in and of myself, but I'm good compared to you. <laughs> Those are haughty eyes, but I don't think that's David's emphasis here. Why? Because of what he says next. Look what he says next. The third thing he doesn't do, because he's at rest in his heart, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He's talking here about his ambitions. He's talking about the directions of his life, what he gives us, what he plans to do, what he seeks after, what he tries to accomplish. He says, all, all that he says, I'm, I don't press after things that are too great for me, that are too marvelous for me. Let me say something, that be, and to be clear, what David is not saying. He is not trying to repudiate all ambition. He's not saying don't be ambitious. There's such a thing as holy ambition where we dream and pray and, and, and try to do great things for God in service of God. And so when David says, I don't, I don't try and do, I don't press after things too great for me, he's not trying to quell all ambition and this shouldn't become... A verse that's an excuse for not doing your job, things you're called to do, and uh, being lazy. You know, you can't look at this verse and say, oh, that's too marvelous for me. You mean showing up on time to work is too great for you? (laughs) Yes. No, that's not what this is talking about. What is David getting at? I think all in all, what David is saying with these three denials is this. Look, I do not think about things that are beyond me. I don't let my heart and mind get consumed with things that only God can do, with things that only God knows, with things that only God sees. I don't let that eat me up. I don't plan to do things that belong to God. There are things beyond him, and he's content to leave them there. There are things you and I will never know about God in this life. There are things we'll never know the answers to why that happened to you, when it did, how it did. There are things only God knows, and David leaves it there. There are things only God sees, and David says, That's good, I leave it with him. There are things that only God can do, and David says, I don't get myself all worked up trying to do them, because I know only God can do these things. That's what David is saying. It sounds so basic, but this is the reason so many of your hearts are troubled and filled with anguish. You're torn up about trying to do things you can never do. Things that only God can accomplish. Only God sees and knows. David has contented himself with a most basic fundamental truth that everyone needs to understand and that is what we are creatures life is short life is a gift we have limited time here there's only one creator we're creatures such a fundamental thing but so many need to learn it because they're pressing on as if they are God There are things then we should leave to God and learn to identify them. So much of the anguish that I was feeling, I could tell, and Sherry and I had a great talk and time of prayer about this. But why is it taking you so long to decompress? Because I'm thinking of this and I'm thinking about this, and then I get a text from Mexico, I get a text from Costa Rica, this guy's suffering, this person's this, that church is having struggles, we're going through this, and And I can't turn it off. Told her, I can't just flip a switch and disconnect. But what I got to learn to do and come back to it again through Psalm 131 is learn to leave the things that only God can do in his hands. You are not the Savior. You are not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. There's just one. Scripture is filled with, uh, with these kinds of teachings. It's pregnant with it. Like David would have known this verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. In fact, it might have been on his mind. Remember, as king, as king, David had to make a longhand copy of the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. And so he would have written this verse: Deuteronomy 29, 29. What's it say? Many of you memorize memorized it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's things you'll never know. But the things that are revealed, in other words, what God has said in this book, belong to us and to our children. So that we can collect facts? No. (laughs) He says so that we may do all the works of the law. So that we may obey them. So much of the anguish that some of you feel is taken up is is the result of simply trying to peer into the secret things. But they belong to God and not to you and to me. What are some of those things, beloved? What are some of the things that are too great, too marvelous for you? You'll probably be surprised. There are a lot more than you think. Can you tell what's going to happen tomorrow? No. You can say in all likelihood, probably this or that, but you know what? You you don't know. Remember what the brother of the Lord Jesus said, James? He says, you know, woe to you who say we're going to go to such and such city and make this much money and this much profit. He says, you don't know what a day will bring. You don't know. A bus might hit you. Have you learned yet that your life could change like that on a dime? One phone call? It all changes. Boom. So you leave tomorrow with God. Remember what Jesus said? Let tomorrow take care of itself. It has its own worries. Today's enough. You don't control tomorrow. How about the, the, the pressure some of you feel because you have this passion and desire. Parents, you understand this. If you're a parent, what is something you want that only God can do? And that's what, you want your children to come to, to have faith in God, to believe in Christ. Can you do that? Can you make them Christians? No, it's a miracle of grace, right? God opens the eyes, not you and me. And yet, some of you are pressuring your children so hard because you're squeezing, trying to, to bring about something that you can't, that only God can, and they feel it. They're tired of it. They're tired of it. Can you put that in His hands? You see? So what's it look like when you quiet your soul and you are no longer trying to be God? It looks like you walking up to your spouse or, and saying, I confess, I've been trying to force you to be what I think you ought to be for me. Only God can change hearts. And so that's where David's at, beloved. He is, what has David done? He, he has contented himself with his, his place in this universe. His God-given role. Have you? Can you? Did you choose your IQ? Can you change it? (laughs) Did you choose your DNA? Did you choose uh, when you'd be born? Did you choose your talents, your abilities? These are all gifts from above. He's made you who you are. One of the exercises that we do in our biblical counseling ministry, and if you've never gone through the biblical counseling training, don't think of it as being, you know, some big thing about becoming a counselor that, uh, uh, you know, that you're going to need a degree in certain psychological theories or something like that. Our biblical counseling ministry is equipping people to help them understand what God has to say about them so that they can make progress in their life. And one of the things we do when we sit down, and I'm sensing, at least, uh, that that someone's struggling with the Messiah complex, to call it that, is I'll have them draw two circles. I'll say, I want you to draw two circles, side by side, and I want you to put over one God, and I want you to put over the other one me. And now here's a long list of the things you've been telling me for the last two hours or for the last three weeks that we've been meeting. Here's a list of all the things you're saying that aggravate you, that make you, give you anguish, that you're tired of, that you're, and here's the things you've done about it. Uh, I want you to take those things and I want you to tell me which circle they belong in. Can you put, put them in the circle they belong? It doesn't take long before maybe even the first thing they go to write and they realize wow, I've had a lot of things in my circle that belong to God. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. You have a ton of stuff that you put in your circle that has you spinning like a top that only God can do. Would you just leave it with him? Can you do that? Well, that's, that's the product of contentment, beloved. That's the product of contentment. It is... It is that capacity to be humble before God and to know your place. Now, the process is next. Look at verse 2. From the product, we move to the process. This is what David did, the first part of verse 2. He says, but, or indeed, here's what he did, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Stop right there. That's the product. I mean, that's the process. Uh, How did he arrive at at not being arrogant and proud and and trying to press on into things that only God can do? He says, I managed to wrestle with my own soul, my own heart, and and, and, and I have calmed it and quieted my soul. And that first word there, that first verb is very interesting in the Hebrew. It literally means, I have made level. I've made level, I have flattened my soul and made it quiet. What is David picturing? David's picturing like a road that has humps and bumps and, and he's saying, I, I've leveled it, I've made it smooth. All the fluctuation, up and downs in my soul, my heart, I've managed to flatten them. You know, when's the last time you drove up Highway 50 and you came into Folsom? And right when you start climbing up the uh, the foothills there, you know what you'd see. And if you've seen them in the last year or more, you would see the hills that were there. Many of them are now flattened because they're building homes. And they're doing what my dad used to do with all his big tractors, with his scrapers and his bulldozers. What do you do? You cut and you fill. You cut and you fill. Where it's high, you cut. Where it's low, you fill. And you cut and you fill until you have it level. David said, this is what I did. I cut, and I feel, and I've leveled, I've leveled the ups and downs of my own soul, and I've made it quiet. Quiet and still. When we were uh, away on our break, our last week, we all went, all of us kids and grandkids went to Donner Lake. When you go there in the morning at Donner Lake, and before the wind kicks up, it's what? It's just flat, quiet. That's when you go water skiing, right? Because by 2.30, the wind's picked up, and that place looks like the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was, well, was in the storm, right? And so David says, this is the process I went through. And I want you to notice something, that he was responsible for it. I'm not saying the power was his, but he says, I. In other words, this involves some self-control. This involves some self-mastery. You want a quiet heart? Don't just wait to get zapped from heaven. (laughs) You need to do something here. You You need to work with this. He says, I've flattened my heart, and I have quieted my soul. He doesn't do it by his own strength. It comes through the power of God's grace. When you read the New Testament, this is what we learn in the New Testament, that proud, noisy hearts can become quiet, humble hearts through what? Through the renewing of our minds, the renewing of our thought lives. Remember, the heart is where all the thoughts take place in, in their way of thinking, right? Through the renewing of our minds, with God's truth is by the power of his holy spirit that's something only christians can do see we're not talking here about a contentment again that is that is simply a natural temperament we're talking about something that god has done by his grace in your soul with your cooperation with your work you see a partnership If I go back to my illustration of the Folsom Hills, it's as if God has provided the scrapers, He's provided the dozers, and He's provided the power, the diesel, and the engines. All of it. Somebody still has to operate it. Somebody has to get on that rig and operate it. And that's you. That's you. God has given you, if you're a Christian, He's given you the capacity to be renewed in your mind to have new aspirations, to have new directions, to have holy ambitions, and to quiet down the noise. And it happens through His Word and His Spirit. Most of you will know Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but let me read it. You'll need to turn there. You know what it says. Remember what Romans 12, 2 says? This is the Apostle Paul. He says to them, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. The word conform is an outside-in word. It means don't be pressed into the mold of the way everyone's thinking out there that's agitated and, and the way they think about life. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed. That's an inside-out word. The word is, is metamorphose, from which we get metamorphosis. He says be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Learning to think about life the way God thinks about life. Learning to think about yourself, about the way God teaches you to think about yourself. This is a process, beloved. It takes time. David, When David says, I have quieted my soul, he means that he's brought this state about and he had to wrestle it down. It took some time. And boy, it took me time. It took me time to, to get to that place where I was at peace, and it, and it takes surrendering these things that belong to God. Dr. Ed Powlison, um he's gone now, he's with the Lord, he died some years ago, recently actually, and he wrote a, a beautiful article on Psalm 131, it's called Peace Be Still, Uh, It was turned into a booklet that we use here. We hand it out, a little booklet. I like the title of the article better. The booklet is called Stress. You know, it's got some weird-looking colors, I'm thinking, if anybody's stressed, I'm not sure they'll reach for that. You know, I think I'd reach for something that says, peace, be still, you know. So anyways, we have that booklet if you want it. It's called Stress, right? But he writes this wonderful article where he's reflecting on Psalm 131. And here, I'm going to quote him. Here's what he says. He says, how does a proud heart become a humble heart? He says, you do not wrestle yourself down by doing penance. He says, you can beat on yourself. You can resolve to mend your ways. You can wear a hair shirt, you know, something uncomfortable. He says, you can do all that and still be proud. In fact, you may be proud you did it. (laughs) He says, that's not what you do. He says, you do not destroy the tumult of self-will by sheer will. You don't say, I will stop being irritable. Now, I will stop being fretful. I will stop imposing my will on the universe. You don't do that. And then he quotes Jeremiah. He says, can a leopard change its spots? No, and neither can you, apart from God's grace. He says, you're not strong enough. You are too strong. He means self-willed. Then he says, you only wrestle yourself down. Here's the important thing to remember. He says, you only wrestle yourself down. He's talking to you as a Christian now. By the promises of God's loving kindness. By the promises of God's loving kindness. Who He is for you and what He's done for you. Then he says, you need the invasion of the Redeemer. You need the hand of the shepherd. You need great help the way a drowning man needs great help from outside himself to rescue him. Only one thing is strong enough to overpower and slay those unruling cravings, unruly cravings and a stormy life. Here it is. What God promises to do in and through Jesus Christ. The more you trust God for who He is and what He says He is to you, you'll begin to calm down. and His Spirit will work in your heart. You reflect on the fact that Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. You reflect on the fact that Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows you need all these things. And it's this process of what, when you wrestle this down, you're not wrestling it down with, by beating yourself up, I'll be better, I'll be better, or by telling yourself you're going to change, I demand change within myself. You do it by reflecting on the gospel, the good news, who Christ is for you, what he promises to do, what God understands about you. You go to places like Psalm 139 when, you, when you're worried about tomorrow. Psalm 139 says they were all written in your book. What? Every day of my life before they ever existed. God knows what's coming tomorrow because He scripted tomorrow. You reflect on those things. You begin to renew your mind and you begin to rest and you finally experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. You say again, I think it's very vivid what he says here. You don't have the strength to save yourself. You don't have the strength to bring about this spiritual contentment. It is the work of God's grace. You need help from the outside and that help comes from God who reaches into your heart. Christ Jesus is the one who can quiet our souls and grant us peace, not with bad circumstances, but in bad circumstances. I know it because I felt it. I know it because I've experienced it. If there's anything that is vivid in my mind that I had to give up to God and let God be God, was the deterioration of my dad's mind to Alzheimer's. You try for a while, you read magazine articles, you do this, you do that, you've tried. And finally, at least at this point with science, you come to the conclusion, and you ought to as a Christian, I can't fix this. It's not in me to do it. God, you do what you plan to do. I'm done agonizing. I'm ready to be at peace about this now. And so that's the process, beloved, that we all need to go through. Wrestling with God's truth, speaking truth to ourselves about His grace and mercy, trusting Him and leaving things in His hands. Now, the last two, More briefly, we've seen the product of contentment, humility. We've seen the process. He leveled his own heart. And now the portrait of it. What this beautiful metaphor, he says, Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Here's a a portrait of what a content person is like. Someone who's no longer agitating about life and circumstances and why is this happening to me and where is this going to go and how come he's not like this and when is she going to blank blank whatever that person is no longer there this person's at peace he says this is what they're like they're like a weaned child on their mother's breast what does he mean well this little picture this metaphor, uh, it's beautiful when you understand it, uh, we don't use the word wind much anymore in our you know, daily parlance so to speak, but what he's describing is a child that's no longer uh, being breastfed, and when you, had you taken that child and put him on his mother's chest when he or she was still being breastfed and that child was hungry at that time, what's the child going to do? It's going to squirm all over her, it's going to squirm and wriggle and wiggle and Just like our youngest grandson, David. (laughs) He's a a big little squirmer. (laughs) And when he's hungry, ain't nothing going to stop him. (laughs) He's going to be loud. He's going to use those lungs, and he's going to squirm and wriggle until, until he's fed. And what he's saying is, when you have quieted your soul by God's grace, you're like a child that's weaned. What he means is this. Since you are no longer deriving food from your mother's chest, you're content to just lay there in her arms and just feel her love, feel her presence. You're ready to listen. You're ready to just be at peace rather than squirming. David says, that's what it's like when you have learned to level your soul, to be at peace in all circumstances. Well, that's what David's learned. He's learned the lesson of dependence on God and just like a weaned child is transformed and had you seen that child before he's weaned and he was on his mother's breast and he was wiggling and yelling and then you come a month later and he's been weaned you'd say wow that child has been transformed David says I'm transformed my soul was transformed it was changed by the grace of God I don't longer worry about controlling tomorrow because I know I can't and I know the one who does control tomorrow. That's what David's saying. I'm no longer worrying about where this is going to end up in a few years from now financially because I can't control where it's going to end up financially. But I know the one who does and I know he loves me. He's my heavenly father. I don't know what's going to happen with this job, with this career. I don't know what's going to happen with her health but I know the one who does know, and he's my heavenly father, so I'm I'm good with this. I'm at peace. I know the one who... I can't fix this, but I know the one who can, and he's free to choose whether he wants to or not. All this made me think a lot about my dad. You know, I was thinking about his scrapers and dozers this week, and I was thinking about the one... when, When dad had trained me, you know, my dad was... This is the way dad was. I don't know if my uncle, who, who also worked for my dad, who, who, had this experience, but my dad taught me how to operate a million-dollar machine uh, in, like, 15 minutes. He gave me one ride, and then he goes, he's saying yes. He gave me one ride. I sat on the engine. I went with him. I mean, I, this is totally unsafe, right? OSHA would have killed us, right? So I'm on top of the engine. He's driving. This does this. This does that. Okay, you ready? I said, you ready? What do you mean? He's like, go. I'm Go? Uh, this thing weighs... 10 tons, you know? So I get going, I'm doing this, and he puts me on a job on levees, these levees over here where the water purification is here in Concord, you know? I'm a kid, man. I'm a teenager just out of high school, and I'm out there. I'm, I'm operating this thing, and I'm starting to get to that proud heart, you know? I'm like, look at me, man. I'm. <laughs> Boy, this thing's 5 million bucks, baby, you know? And I'm, I'm out here, and I'm operating this thing, and he told me I want you to dump, dump the scraper right along here on the, on the left side, Don't get too close to the edge, but we're building up these levees. You Sure, you got it, Dad. And I dumped, and that scraper took a turn down into the levee. They were purifying water, okay? You know what that means, the sewage. (laughs) And the scraper is going this way, and I remembered instantly what he said. If you're going to go down there, just drop that belly pan. Let it stop you. So I stop. I'm on the edge. The front of the scraper is pointing down. I'm looking at sewage. And what do I think? I can't fix this. I can't fix this. And I saw my dad. He got out of his truck, that red four-door dually Dodge, and he's running down as fast as he can towards me. I had just become a believer, and I'm watching my dad running towards me. This week, I pictured that, and it just reminds me, it's like the Heavenly Father coming towards me. Look at this mess you got yourself into. You can't fix it. Did I tell you something about your problems, the things that you agitate so much about? Because you can't fix it, that's why. You, you just, it's not for you. To end the story, my dad came and got me out of the mess, right? He, he knew how to do that. He called in t- two bulldozers. It was a huge thing. Man. <laughs> Don't ever do it. <laughs> oh, man. So we come to the last point, the power of contentment. In verse 3. He turns his attention to his readers, to his people, and David says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever, starting right now and forever. In other words, where does the ability to level your soul, you quiet your heart, trust God with your life, trust God with the things that belong to Him come from? Where's the ability come from? We said it comes from His grace, comes from His Spirit, it comes through Jesus, and it comes through specifically, he says here, through hope. Understand what hope is and what it means to hope. It doesn't mean in Christian thinking in the Bible. Hope isn't just you know I hope it will rain later today. It's sort of I'm unsure. I hope it happens. Hope is a certainty about what God has promised, what God has said. In fact, this Hebrew word here, to hope, this verb yehel, means confident waiting, confident waiting waiting and trusting that God is going to resolve it, do what He wants to do, trust God. This is born of faith, right? And so we are, to, we are people of faith. We walk by faith, and your life is going to be challenged. You're going to want to take hold of the reins. You're going to want to grab the steering wheel from God. You know where you're going to end up? Looking into a sewage uh, canal, like me. You're going to need the grace of God. And where does the power to, to keep you on the right path come from? It's learning not to trust yourself, but trust Him. Wait expectantly for what God has said He's going to do. You hope. Our hope is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Him. Why? Because He can do the things that are too great and too marvelous for you and me to do. And what has He done? What's too great and marvelous for you and me to do? Well, He's already taken care of the very worst problem you would ever face. And what is that? That is facing a holy God in your sin and your guilt. He's already taken care of the worst problem, which is the wages of sin is death, says Scripture. The wrath of God. He's taken care of that. How? Through the cross. That's the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So if he's already taken care of you and my worst problem, which is we will never face God if you've placed your faith in Christ. You will never face God at the end of life with your report card, but with his. His righteousness will clothe you and his death will be the payment for your sin. He has not only taken care of that problem, but He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, and He now is at work in you day by day. Scripture says, "All who are in Christ Jesus are new creations. The old is past; the new has come. The old is past; the new has come." And then the next statement says, "All this is from God. All this is from God." Remind you of the story of one of my other uncles, being that this, my, my uncle's here's visiting my Uncle Guillermo, my Uncle Bill. When I went to see him, I, I know I've shared this with some of you. Went to see him three days before his death. It uh, was deeply impressed upon me. Go talk to your uncle one more time about life and death and Christ. And I went there, and God had gone before me because he was ready. And I walked into his living room, and, his, and my aunt was in the kitchen with others, and he was there. And, and he was always joking, he was always a joker with me, he was a joker with everybody, but when I walked in, I said, Uncle, I just wanted to visit you. And I said, do you know, I don't know if anybody's told you, because my mom had told me that uh, his wife, and nobody had yet told him that really he was days away. I mean, days. And, and so I said, I don't know, has anybody told you, Uncle, you, you only have days. You have maybe just a few days. And though no, nobody said, he intuitively picked it up. You know, by the way people look <laughs> and they walk away, and he said, "No, I didn't, I, yeah, he goes, I, I, knew, I knew it was bad." And then I said, well, "I just came to talk to you one last time about being prepared to meet God." And him being a joker, uh, he said something, and I said, are "You, uh, what are you, uh, you saying?" He goes, "Don't think I'm jesting." He said, "Don't think I'm joking." This is real. And I shared with him there that he could be at peace with God and 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 know that he will be raised to eternal life if he turns to Christ and confesses and seeks it's, it's salvation is by grace alone. And I read to him Romans ten nine ten that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and confess with your heart that God, believe in your heart, that God raised him from, I quoted it correctly for him, okay, so (laughs) don't don't mess it up, okay. (laughs) Take two, rewind, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. These aren't magical spell words. This is meaning you truly are understanding that Jesus is the son of God. He's Lord. You're going to face him one day as judge. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what scripture says. I I shared it with him and he just looked at me straight, saying nothing. And then I, I tried to see what, do you understand, uncle? And he said, yes, I'm doing it now. And he hugged me. His next question was, will I know people in heaven? Will I see, will I see abuela, he said, mama, in heaven? And I said, well, Uncle, Scripture says that there's a resurrection. And the book of Job says, with these eyes, I will see him. You'll see God. That's the most important thing. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Here's where I'm going with this. What is it to hope is to look forward to what God is promising and to be transformed by the power of that word, which is the gospel that Jesus has taken care of, our worst problem. And then a newness of life comes about. The oldest gone, the new is here. The old creation is gone, the new creation's here. And my uncle, as a new creation, instinctively knew to ask me at this point, he said, what do I do? Meaning, God has shed his mercy on me. What should I do? What would be the right thing to do right now? He didn't put it like that, but that's what he was saying. I said, Uncle, you have days left. Give the glory to God. He said, what do you mean? I said, give the glory to God. Here's the one thing you could do. You go out there, and you tell Tia, and you tell them that God saved you. And that's what he did. We went out, we sat down, and he, he he very th- distinctively called me brother. He said, My brother here has explained to me, and he shared a few words. You know, uh, uh, kind of like I just mixed everything up, right? <laughs> he, he just said a, a few words, and uh, you know, my aunt looked at him like, What? Well, she didn't know what just happened, you see. So the power to change is God's. It comes to you through his word. You become a new creation. He takes care of your worst problem and then throughout the rest of your life he continues to purify your heart that you might reflect the image of his son. And one of the things we need to reflect more is being at peace with where God has us. Being at peace with where God has placed you. Trusting him. With tomorrow. Stop trying to manipulate. Stop trying to do the impossible. Stop trying to force things to happen. And walk by faith, leaving these things in God's hands. We're going to finish by singing a song, and I want to read the lyrics to you ahead of time so that you could be prepared. The song is, Be Still, My Soul. We sing it here once in a while. And it goes like this. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. He's on your team. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright. At last, you'll know the wise. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. And we don't normally sing this third verse here. It goes like this. Be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed we shall meet at last. I think if I were to put uh, the, the central message of this psalm in modern colloquialism, it would be something like this. You want peace? You want a heart that's at rest? Stay in your lane. And let God be God. Trust Him. And you'll, you'll find a lot more peace. Let's pray.